Welcome back to Falling in Love with Yourself. This is episode 86, and I am bursting at the seams to share this amazing, wonderful human with you. My name is Jenny, and this episode is Dave. Dave is my first male interview. Um, I am bringing you and bringing the world of self-love, this revolution of self-love to men. Self-love is for everyone, not just for women. The concepts of self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-compassion, self-fulfillment, self-esteem apply to every single human on this earth. I know you're going to love this episode. Dave has such an amazing story coming from low self-esteem, addiction, shame, anger to the beautiful spiritual being that he is today. He's going to share it all. And I know you're going to get so much from it. Speaking of males and men, my falling in love with myself community and tribe is open to everyone we have a private facebook page find us on facebook at falling in love with myself we meet every monday at 8 a.m pacific time on zoom and men women non-binaries are all welcome you guys we can learn from all humans regardless of our gender identities. So if you are a man, you are welcome here and in this space. If you know a man that is looking for tools and practices um, in these areas of self-love um, and self-awareness, please, please, please share this podcast with them. Um, self-love again is for everyone and spreading this message is so important not just now but always so thank you so much for being here you can find me on instagram at jenny underscore drake underscore or my website jenny-drake.com and again please join our private facebook group which is the falling in love with myself Facebook group. Sit back, relax, listen to this precious soul share his his wisdom and his um his powerful message with you. We'll be right back. Welcome to season 2 of Falling in Love with Yourself. My name is Jenny. I've been a teacher and a coach in some capacity for over two decades, but that's only part of what makes me successful as your guide to falling back in love with yourself. I'm a single woman who turns 50 this year. I stepped away from a 22-year marriage five years ago where my self-worth was lower than low. I didn't know who I was, what I believed in, what fulfilled me, or what my purpose was. I was depending on external people and things to complete myself. But through my four pillars of self-love, which are self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-compassion, and self-worth, I am now filled with love and faith. Self-love is different than self-care. Self-love is not selfish. It is essential. We always hear how we need to love ourselves, and I am here to teach you how. I'm so grateful you are here, choosing you, and I cannot wait for you to fall deeper in love with yourself. I am so excited to introduce you to Dave today. I am not only excited because of who he is, but I'm super excited that Dave is my very first male interview on falling in love with yourself. So I just want to give a little background about Dave and I and who he is, and then really you're, you're in for a treat. Um, I can't remember. It was over a year ago. I got a random Facebook message from a friend 
And it was a three-way Facebook message. Oh. And it said, this is Dave. You two need to know each other. And I literally did not know if she was trying to set us up like as a love connection or as like a mentor, maybe a possible podcast interview. Um, and through that, we met on Zoom and it was, I remember it was so awkward. It was awkward for me because I had no idea what the purpose of that Zoom was. <laughs> um, but it didn't go anywhere. I still had no idea except for a few months later when I really wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone and lo and behold, Dave popped into my mind. And that very second, I reached out to him on Facebook again. And I said, hey, now I know why we had that Zoom and I really want to talk to you. And um, Dave and I started working together and it has really been a great transformation for me. And um, some of the, just a few of the things that Dave has taught me um, over our course of working together is first, um, I can have a strong connection with men that don't lead to romance. And I didn't really know that. I mean, I knew it, but Dave really reminded me of that. Um, he also helped remind me that my protection mechanisms come in in very subtle but definitive ways everywhere in my life. And when I started working with Dave, I was just this go-getter and this driven doer. Um, but I also was very spiritual. And really, Dave helped me connect those two things together in harmony. And that like those those are just like off the top of my head. And so he he has an incredible self-love story. He's such a great guy. And for that reason, I am super stoked to introduce Dave as my very first male interview. So Dave, welcome to the show. Um, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Like who's Dave now? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> who is Dave now? That's kind of a, that's a pretty broad question. There's a lot of, there's a lot of room there. Um, but I, I like to think of myself as um, a, a human being. I, I like to think of myself as, as kind. Um, also very much human, meaning like I'm, I'm prone to getting confronted by things that are very old and, um, and so far from perfect. Right. But I, one of one things I, one thing I do know about myself is that my heart is, is good. Um, I am a, I'm a lover of the ocean. Um, so I, I surf every chance that I get more or less. Um, I am a yogi. I am an adventurer, um, not in the most extreme sense, but I, I um, lately the, the thing I've been adventuring with is taking my electric skateboard machine contraption out at night and um, visiting with as many homeless people as I can and hearing their stories and taking pictures if they will grant me permission. Um, and uh, that's, it's just a fun way that I, a fun and adventurous way to be of service. Um, and what else? I'm a son and a brother, um, and I love to create. Actually, don't love to create, but I'm I'm compelled to create. So I'm finishing up a book. Um, it's kind of at the way end, and there's probably a transition into self love here somewhere um, in regards to us completing things. Um, so I hope that answers your question. It's it's pretty challenging question to answer, honestly, because I could get very self indulgent on it and come from the ego. But the way that you ask it, it seems to, it seems to, the question seems to exist at great depth, if that makes sense. 
it totally makes sense. And one of the things I love about you so much is how humble you are and how you, how you help keep your own ego in check. And you've helped me keep my ego in check and, and show me how ego is not necessarily a bad thing when we use it properly. Um, so you answered it exactly as you should have. And I love that you brought up surfing because that's one thing you, you know, our love for the ocean is something that we both have in common. And while I don't surf, I have learned so many less life lessons and spiritual lessons from the ocean. And I know that you do too, as you, as you're in the waves. Um, so you're in a great space. I love watching you on social media with the work that you're doing with the homeless of just bringing the compassion and awareness to that. Um, it's so, it's so powerful. And, but so you're in a great space, you're finishing this book, but it wasn't always that way. And so tell us a little bit about a time or not even a little bit, however much you want to share when your self-love, your self-worth was, was low, where you struggled and that story of how you rescued yourself. Well, I mean, first, like, first of all, self, there's a, a, um, a recovery problem in two recovery programs and uh, anonymous recovery programs. And, and the, the, the one that's kind of my primary one currently deals a lot with inner child stuff and uh, abandonment and trauma and all kinds of other things. But one of the um, distinctions that it makes is that a child is either ends up being self with self-esteem or with not, or with no self-esteem and that there's no black or white. So um, it comes as a result of how they were brought up or the situation that they found themselves, he or she found themselves growing up inside of. Um, it's very, very, very complex, but I was not a person who ended up with any real self-esteem at all growing up and for whatever reasons, and I'm not assigning blame to anyone or anything. It's just kind of the way it was. And so that with, with a, a propensity to get very, very, very angry, very, very, very quickly. And when a person experiences a, a powerful, strong, furious emotion like anger, that emotion has all sorts of uh, associated chemicals that, that come along with it that person becomes addicted to, right? Just like, just like Big Macs, it's very unhealthy, but the, the chemicals, uh, what I believe the, I believe they refer to that as craveability. Um, but the, those, those chemicals um, that we become addicted to sort of, can subconsciously sort of dictate how things go. So what would happen is I would get angry. I would have these chemical reactions happen. I would get addicted to those chemicals and then I would collapse in shame, I would collapse in ruin, collapse in shame. And, and then I would sort of put myself back together as, but almost like, as almost reassemble myself into something almost like subhuman. And, and so that, and, and then this happened, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many thousands of times growing up. And so basically in my mid teenage years, when I was 16 years old, I was introduced to, to weed, to pot, uh, marijuana, and became very, very, very quickly addicted to it. I mean, within, I mean, I want to say within a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and, and then it just, it just took off from there. And so the, the, the drugs were a way to medicate, self-medicate the, the lack of self-esteem. And, but when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you have no idea that this is what's happening, right? There's no self-awareness around it. They just make you feel good or you think they make you feel good. But so, so that just led me essentially on a, 
path of destruction that lasted, I, I believe, 16 years. So from the age I was 16 until the age I was 32. And it just got, it started out as one thing and then it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, the thing about so like lack of self-esteem is my, my default, my, my default sort of survival way of being is, is arrogance. And so arrogance is righteousness mixed with fear and if, or mixed, mixed with anger or anger or fear, anger and or fear. And so if you ever notice a really arrogant person, you are able to kind of get at them. You will very quickly be able to um, discover that there's a lot of anger or fear running the show there. But so, so my point in bringing that up is that when I'm, I'm this guy in my mid twenties, I'm living in Colorado and I'm 26 years old and I'm getting drunk all the time. And I just think I'm about the coolest thing in the entire universe, but there would be these moments where the fear that I was living in would kind of present themselves to me. And I didn't know what to do with them. And I didn't realize that it actually was fear. I had no idea that I was my entire existence was rooted in this self-centered fear that I, and complete and total lack of self-esteem that I was medicating with alcohol and drugs. And so it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until, you know, all of a sudden one day I'm in my second, second institution of lower learning, you know, it's awful rehab in other words, not to I, mention other places. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for taking us through that journey as difficult as it is, but, you know, I just don't think that stories like yours are discussed enough in mainstream, our mainstream world. Well, I mean, every, every, everyone's addicted to something, but I mean, and if you meet a person, if you meet a, a, a well-balanced, non-addicted person, right, that's, they're, they're often rather boring, you know, like it's, it's, um, and there's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with them, but I, I like the crazy side of things. And it's interesting. I went out last night and I was on, and I ran into this kid at an intersection, this homeless, this homeless guy. And we talked for, I don't know, we talked for 15, 20 minutes or so. And I went and I bought him some Doritos and the homeless, like all they ever want is Doritos and like soda. It's hilarious. But, but, um, <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm going to CVS. You any anything you want? What do you want? And they want Doritos and like Pepsi or that's Arizona ice. No, yeah, no, totally. Know. Like they never ask for much, which is it just is what it is. But um, this person, this 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 guy, he had a freaking story. Like he was a human being, totally. and life did a number on him. Is in the process of continuing to do a number on him, and he could just end up. I mean, dead. I could go back to the same spot where he, I saw him last night and he could just be gone. And, and, but, but my point in bringing that up is that this, this person is human and they have zero self-esteem and they have absolutely no idea how to claw their way out of the place that they find themselves trapped in. And at some point, a few decades ago, a couple decades ago, 20, 30, 35 years ago, this person was an infant being born into this world with unlimited potential. Yep. And, and the thing I love about talking with the homeless is that some of them are just completely insane, which is a whole other thing in and of itself. But, um, but most of them, even those that are heavily addicted to drugs are human beings who at some time, at some point were innocent little children, just like all of us who just ended up going down the wrong path. And so I think it's, it's so important and, and it's just becoming more and more prevalent. Right. And so I was, my, was my intention to, to go off on this homeless tangent, but at all, but, but I guess what I see in, in, in chatting with them is just the humanity in their eyes and the fact that we need to be talking about this stuff. Definitely. Individually and collectively. And I don't think anyone is off the hook in right. regards to responsibility. That from, from, from the person all, you know, the person who's just chatting with people one-on-one, -on -one, up through the people in the schools, up through the police departments, up through the politicians, all of that. I think that it's a it's a collective issue and it ultimately has to do so much with addiction, but 
you know, below that lack of lack of self-esteem. 100%. Uh, no, I'm so, so, so glad you went there. Um, because the, every, every one of us, regardless of whether we have a roof over our head or not, was, as you said, like, was, is a human. We're part of the, of humanity. And you know that I have a very special place in my heart for the world of addiction and recovery. And when I look at people who are struggling on the streets with addiction, I just always say to them, like, there are people praying for you and there are people who love you. You are so loved. And that's like the, what you, that's the message that I leave because there are family members who love them and who are praying for them. Totally. And, and this guy last night, I forget his name, but I think his name was Jake, but he just gave me this, this little fist bump as we were parting ways. And it didn't occur as if this person had been viewed as a human in a heck of a long time. Right. Right. And, and essentially loved, you know, and That's so amazing. And so tell us about, you said you, you, you went into rehab twice. So how did you make that decision to start your journey of recovery? Like, how did that happen to where you're now in a place to where you can be super compassionate, empathetic, and, you know, you're the epitome of what I coach, which is fill your cup, take care of yourself so that it can abundantly overflow in every aspect of your life. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on because, you know, you came from a place of where they are at and now you spend your spare time going and just talking to people. So how did you get from that space to this space? Well, I my life had been completely and totally annihilated and destroyed and shattered. And I was really just, it was like my life was just this fractured mosaic of all of these little pieces staring back at me. And there was just this fractured shell of a human being remaining. And, and, and there's, there's, I, I can't explain why I didn't die. I can't explain why I'm not in prison. I can't explain any, any of that um, other than the, the grace of something greater than me, higher power, whom I choose to call God. But uh, it was June, it was June of 2007. And for whatever reason, uh, my mother asked me um, if I wanted to call this treatment center, um, this num this treatment center I had gotten on a waiting list for. And, and m mind you, I had one, I had a, a felony, I was on felony probation in Cook County in Chicago. And I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even know this because I was so spun out. Um, but had I gotten popped off, caught one more time, um, I, I didn't realize that I had actually pled guilty to this felony and and contingent upon me getting my life back together but i didn't know this because i'm completely out of my mind right point being that had i been caught i would have not passed go so to speak i would have gone straight to prison and it probably would have been a one to three year sentence um so and and then there was another there was another charge and i wasn't a violent i wasn't a violent person really at all um more violent towards myself but so, so for whatever reason, I, when my mother asked me if I would like to um, call the treatment center that I had gotten on the waiting list for, for whatever reason, that morning, it was June 6, 2007, I said, okay. And so I called this treatment center and they said, well, we have a bed for you. It's ready. You need to get into detox today. And, um, and then we can get you in here as soon as you're done with detox. So I, all I can say is that I, I checked into this detox center, which is a publicly funded detox center on the far north side of Chicago. It was, it was uh, it literally plastic, you know, rubber sheets, um, plastic sheets, um, and 
filthy and ridden with HIV and, you know, crack whores and prostitutes and liars and rapists and thieves and murderers. And, and, um, and then there's me and I'm not, I, I wouldn't, I was not in a category distinct from these people. I will just say that I was right on their level and certain this choose your vice. Right. But I was right on, we're all on the same level. And, and there was just something that happened. I mean, I didn't, if you're coming off hard drugs like that, heroin in particular, you're the, the, the worst problem with the withdrawal is that you cannot sleep. So yes, you feel like you have the flu. Yes, you get nauseous. Yes, you might throw up, like all that stuff. Yes, yes, yes. But the worst part of it is the sleeplessness. And so something happened where I just, I, all I can say is that I reached, I reached down deep, deep, deep into this place within me that we all have. And, and, I, and I accessed, I, I was able to access it whatever it is and 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 i i more or less chose it and that's the thing about a, a addiction is that i see people and this whole fentanyl stuff i don't know what's going on with that stuff and i don't know what the withdrawal is like from that i would imagine pretty horrific probably worse than heroin but you can do it you just, you just have to do it. And that, that's all that there is to it. And I just, and this was a completely non-medical detox. I'd been to like three, three, or I want to say three medical detoxes before that. And I had been to treatment also in the Fufi treatment center, right? Like in the, in the, the posh, you know, really, really expensive treatment center. And they're all the same. It doesn't matter where you go because they're all going to tell you the same thing basically. And you might hear some treatment centers have some reinvented model of recovery that's just that's bs there's in my opinion there's one way to recover there are other people that employ other methods which i also respect um but the one i know works so i really pretty much just curled up in the fetal position for i want to say five or six or seven or eight days straight and, you know, about the fourth or fifth night, I maybe got 15 minutes, 20 minutes of sleep. And then I just rebuilt my whole life from there. And I, I spent 13, 13 days in there and something clicked, something mm -hmm. shifted. I can't explain what other than I became willing and before I wasn't willing. Mm -hmm. And, and these recovery people would, I, they weren't preaching. It's not preaching is not the right word, but they would say, um, hey, this higher power stuff will help you, will save you. And I would be like, my first time in rehab, but don't, don't talk to me about God. You know, is the what's referred to in recovery as the intellectually self-sufficient one. And that's that arrogance I was referring to earlier. Yeah. And, um, and so something about this second time, it just, something clicked. And then after a week, you know, I was eating, I started eating peanut butter and jellies. And then, you know, sipping Gatorade. I went from sipping water to sipping Gatorade to eating like a corner of a peanut butter and jelly to an entire peanut butter and jelly to looking forward to meals, you know, to, to, and, and then, and then from there, but, but really it's crazy because the, when, when you've annihilated your life to that degree and to that extent, and, and you don't know what to do, and it's just staring back at you, these million little pieces um, these billions of little pieces are staring back at you in that fractured mosaic. The only thing that I knew to do, literally, 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 literally to start reassembling my life was to pick up a toothbrush. I mean, that was it. And it was just like left, right, left, right. And, and, and that's what's referred to in recovery as trudging the path to happy destiny. It was like, it took every, every ounce that I had in my spirit to just brush my teeth and, and it just, it went from there. And, and, and then I started to get some momentum and, you know, within, I spent 124 days in that treatment center, I had a spiritual awakening while I was in treatment, a profound one. Mm -hmm. um, and within six months, I had reassembled my life into something unrecognizable from what I ever could, it, could have imagined it becoming. Like it's, 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 it's impossible to describe what it had become. Now I am not an exception. Right. Um, that's, that's what I want to emphasize. Like there's a traditional 
recovery path and and it's very narrow and it's very powerful and it's not very glamorous and you're not going to sit in in a circle with yoga pants on and do some chanting with beads and stuff like that it's it's which i do that stuff now currently i do that stuff now but but it's it's a um it works prof it it works astonishingly well and so i have seen dozens if not hundreds of people go through the exact same process that i went through and and i know several hundred if not more people who have been through that process mm -hmm. so i know personally i've witnessed it but then i know hundreds if not thousands of others who have gone through it who are who are living proof that that hope that that it works that anything's possible that you can recover it thank you so much for sharing that it's so empowering and inspiring um, was there anything that you can remember, like any aha moment or component of building that life back up where you were like this, now I'm starting to have self-esteem for the first time in my life? <clears throat> well, this is what the recovery guys say, they'll say to you, they'll say, if you want self-esteem, you need to start doing esteemable things. And Which was what? Like, well, can like you give us an example? One of the first things they'll tell you is um, make your bed. First thing in the morning, make your bed. And, you know, there's a, there's a, um, there's this famous Navy SEAL, mm -hmm. former Navy SEAL drill instructor talk on YouTube. You can find it. And he says, you want to change your life today? Start by making your bed. And I mean, that's, that's the thing about like the army, right? Like, or the 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 um the military like you could find be a seven a seventeen year old lost soul and join the military and a drill sergeant shows up and kicks your ass into shape very quickly and I would I haven't been in the military but I would venture to guess that a heck of a lot people a heck of a lot more people swim than sink. Because when you start holding people to a higher standard, they will hold themselves to that standard. And sometimes, like in your situation, you don't have the tools yet. So someone else has to be holding you accountable until you can hold yourself accountable. And then like what you said is just brushing your teeth was the best you could do in that moment. It was, it was brush my teeth and don't walk out the door and take the $20 I had in my pocket and use. That was it. And you know, that for, for listeners who aren't struggling with addiction, we can apply that to every, to everyone, because really it's just that first step and it doesn't have to be a big step. It's whatever that next step is that is so freaking scary to do. But if you do it, uh, like one of my coaching tools is keeps promises to yourself. That is the way to build your self-esteem and your self-confidence. Yeah, totally. Keep promises to yourself. Be a, be of service. Um, you know, like they, you know, people early recovery, they'll, you know, this is back in the day, but you know, they would show up at these meetings, right. And empty ashtrays, um, back when you could smoke. Um, and, little little esteemable acts um keeping your your house clean and i didn't i mean this a lot of this stuff like this a lot of this stuff is relatively recent for me um when your house is in order literally like your house is um the house that you live in is clean and relatively neat then your thoughts are going to coincide with that to a certain degree to a very significant degree mm-hmm no, yeah, I agree. How our space is, is a representation of how we are on the inside. And I just wanted to reiterate one thing that you said that the journey is hard. Like it is not a cakewalk. It is doing the work, but that's the internal work that leads to lasting recovery. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's warrior training in every, every sense of what that word means. It is, there is abs, there's, you know, I, I, I say, I've said this 
it was kind of taken the wrong way a while back on a podcast I had years ago, but the um, shy of shy of being um, like physically tortured or falsely imprisoned or, um, you know, sexually abused over and over again, like the, the really horrific things that human beings are prone to do to one another. Aside from those more extreme examples, there's nothing more challenging that a person could go through than than the recovery process because it it requires it requires you to summon something this this strength deep within yourself that you don't know that you have but that we all have yeah. and and it requires surrender right and and but surrender when we surrender that's not a passive act it's like okay i surrender i will go and sweat this out in this horrific god awful detox center for the next 2 weeks without a wink of sleep and then I will line up for cigarette breaks, <laughs> cigarette breaks, and and si line up before meal times and lay down and have to take naps as a full grown adult, right? Um, because I'm surrendering. So it's it's kind of it's very counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is surrender, right? When we take out our will and our wants and our desires and just let go. Um, how long have you been clean and sober? Uh, fifteen years. Congratulations. Yes. Incredible. Um, and you talked about, yeah, recovery is physical, emotional, spiritual. It's all of it. So you talked about it being excru excruciatingly difficult, but you, you're not doing it alone. So tell us a little bit about that. Like you're not alone. Well, I mean, I, I, I embraced a very traditional path of recovery um, and I was in Chicago. And so the recovery community in Chicago was, I mean, there were, I was literally surrounded by thousands of people, um, literally who had all done the same thing and, and had chosen to start living uh, with spiritual principles guiding their entire existences and all who are deeply human deeply flawed, deeply, uh, you know, with all sorts of what are referred to as character defects, right? Um, but, but who essentially exist to hold each other accountable, but not in, not in some really rigid, not, not in, not in a, a rigid dogmatic way. Um, the, the traditional recovery programs get uh, often uh, branded as religious. They're, that's not, that's not the case at all. There's no dogma. There's no um, cultiness to it. I could see how someone would think that, um, and I could see how there would be certain um, places that might be more culty than others, but uh, overall, that's not even, I've been around for a very long time and now solid chunk of time, and I, it's not my experience of it, but, but what you have at all, but um, what you have are all of these people who are living honestly or who are committed to living honestly who are living spiritually who are committed to making simple apologies when necessary um, who are committed to talking with someone if they know that there is a simple apology to make and that they're afraid to make it or that they don't want to make it because the other person they need to apologize to was worse you know um, so there are just so many ways that that that, that human beings can hold each other up. Um, and, and which is another way to grow self-love because I know I've been in a position where I didn't love myself enough, but the community around me loved me and taught me how to love myself. Would you, would, you, would does that resonate with you? Like in those? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I just, um, you know, I, I came, I came through all of that and, um, and there's no way that you can't emerge from that type of an experience, feeling at least better than you did about yourself than, than you did before. Right. Right. And I mean, it's crazy. This is like on my, it was my 33rd birthday and, um, I, I had, I had probation. I had to like go to my monthly pain in the ass probation meeting. I had like go in front of the judge and he would read over my paperwork and I had to go downstairs in this shit crappy manila folder metropolis with all these 
caseworkers and peeing a cup, you know, like it, it was just, it's just a gigantic pain in the ass, right? And, and at this point I'm, I'm, uh, it's like eight, I'm like eight months over, right? And, and I rode my bicycle. I lived in this neighborhood in Chicago called Rogers Park. And, and it was my 33rd birthday, March 20th. And I, 2008, and I rode my bike from Rogers Park, 7,500 North to 2,600 South um, in the rain. It was snowing and raining. It was just one of those God awful, snowy, rainy, freezing, cold, awful days, right? And, um, and I got, and I went in front of the judge and I'm covered in mud and soaking wet and shivering. And he looks, this is my 11th month out of a 24 month probation. And he looks at me and he goes, his name was Judge Kirby. And he was a, he was a, as just of a human being as could ever be. Um, granted, he worked inside of the confines of the law, but he was very just. And, and, um, and he said, what the hell is wrong with you? you look at you. And I'm, he was kind of smirking, you know, and I'm like, yes, your honor. You know, and he's like, why are you covered in mud? And I'm like, well, I rode my bike here, Your Honor. And he's like, from where? And I'm like, Rogers Park. And he's like, that's 15 miles. And I'm like, it was 17, Your Honor. And he's like, you know, and he's starting to like giggle a little bit. He never smiled. You know what I mean? And, and he goes, he goes, you see this man? You know, and he like made an example out of me. And he goes, he looked at my paperwork and he goes, I don't, we do not want, we do not need you on probation anymore he goes and he let me go 13 months early on my 33rd birthday and you know cry talking about it right he said um he said i never want to see you again happy birthday and that was it you know and i rode my bike home like free free i'm totally freaking free i'm just like you've got to and this is this is my eighth month sober and then uh, and then I started a, what it turned into almost a six-figure job two months later um, with this company. You know, there's just the, the miracles, the miracles never stopped happening. And again, I'm not an exception. Yeah, that's, that's what I cannot emphasize more is that when you surrender and you embrace a path of surrender, the universe, God, he, she, it, whatever cooperates astonishingly well for you. Doesn't make it perfect. Doesn't make it necessarily pretty. Doesn't make it easy but cooperates. That was such an amazing story. Thank you for going there. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for being vulnerable. Such a powerful message that miracles happen all around us. And as we surrender and continue to practice surrender on a daily basis and open our eyes, like, the miracles are everywhere. Um, so 15 years clean and sober, you are helping people. You are helping people like me, but you are helping people who are homeless. What do you do? I know you, I know you're do a lot of service in the recovery world, but what do you do for Dave to keep your cup full so that you can do all of this for the people around you. Tell us a little bit about your tools, your practices to keep you um, not just clean and sober, but to keep your bucket full. Um, well, I mean, I, I, in coaching and my coaching work is not, as you know, it's not related to addiction um, really at all. Um, but in the, um, other than the fact that I know that people are um, way more capable than they're aware of, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the um, that we just we would refer to it as a well like a well being practice. So to to keep your to keep my well being up, I I I have the physical. So I surf. I do um, I surf. I do yoga. You know, three, four, five, six days a week. I do. Um, and then I ride my little skateboard thing around, right? Um, and so that's kind of like physical well-being. And then when I'm working, I don't really, I don't, it's weird. Like the homeless thing just kind of found me. Um, Which is, that's, that's what happens when we surrender. Things find us. 
Exactly. And, you know, it's, and it's adventurous and you got to kind of be looking over your shoulder and, you know, you know, it's just like, there's all these components to it that are just good for me personally. Right. Um, and, and I like, I like knowing that, okay, this is my $20 or whatever. I know exactly where it's going and it's going to CVS to get you Doritos. And then it's going, you're going to eat those Doritos. I, I like versus giving it to someone else to do whatever with. Right. So that's kind of a side note, but I would refer to that as kind of like service oriented or spiritual well-being, like being of service to others. And when we're of service to others, um, it sources us. So there's physical, there's service oriented, and then there's creative well-being. So am I, um, the more I'm working on my book or doing something creative, then that also um, sources the temple, right? Um, so really though, you gotta, I mean, you gotta, eat at least okay you gotta eat all right you gotta exercise and you know in theory you have a form of exercise that isn't a burden at all to you you still have to discipline yourself like I still have to discipline myself to go surfing um sometimes early in the morning but ultimately it's a pleasure so if we can all find some form of exercise that is a pleasure if you can solve that riddle you're doing something very right um yoga is more it's more work but it's ultimately, it's incredibly rewarding. That's why I find um, runners to be fascinating people. Like they have to run, they have to run. Yeah, exactly. You run, right? And it's, there's some, there's a heck of a lot to be said. For, they can't not run. Yeah. And there's a heck yeah. of a lot to be said exactly for that runner's high that comes as the result. So I can uh, take about two days off from running and then I start to get itchy. And especially I run at the beach. So that's even more of a draw. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. So would you say that like surfing, yoga, is that part of your self-connection? Do you connect to self and source with those practices? Sometimes. Sometimes you can go surfing and have the crappiest day ever and it just sucks and you get out of the water and you're pissed off. But um which is in, normal. Yeah, it happens. It's not, but but then again, every surfer has his day. So sometimes you're that guy that or that person that is uh everyone's jealous of so you just have to keep going which that's like conversation about commitment right what are you committed to exactly and goals and there's so much available there so much coaching work available and like just surfing right yoga is more um something it's much more um it requires a much more traditional form of discipline i'll say that um it's the the payoff comes when you're finished um, but yeah, it's more, I guess it's more, be more like a, as I said, a traditional form of discipline. And it's practice, right? Like everything we're talking about physically is the lesson for life that some, some days we have good surf days. Some days we have good run days. Some days we have good yoga practices, but not always. And it really is just accepting where we're at at the time with that goal for the next time, like to always have a goal, but to be an acceptance of where we're at, where we're at. Well, exactly. And the, the thing, the thing about surfing is that, um, I mean, it, re it requires nothing shy of a complete and total soul commitment, um, to, to get to a point where, you know, you're proficient at it. Um, and, you know, same with like, you could say the same for golf. Like it requires like a, a full or any, any caliber of athleticism that, that you're playing at a high and high of enough level. It requires full soul commitment, which is why professional athletes are fascinating to me because every single person that you see in like a, a an NFL game or a, 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 an NBA game or an NHL game or whatever has, has given all that they could possibly give to that pursuit and they get they get kind of a bad name like most human beings do they have that potential within them but they're not willing to give at that of themselves at that level um and very often if you know if you watch the bulls this is kind of a side note but if you watch like the the bulls documentary on that was on netflix a couple years ago i would assume it's still up there um, what Michael Jordan gave, it's, it's, it's astonishing. I don't 
I can't do, I mean, I guess I could do that, but I, I, I don't have that, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, or perhaps I do, and I just haven't accessed it, but he didn't, he didn't, it wasn't easy for him. He had to work. And there's this uh, fiddle player named Michael Cleveland, who's arguably the greatest fiddle player ever in the history of it, of music. And he's was born blind and deaf in one ear and picked up this fiddle and wasn't even good at it for like five or six or seven years or something. I mean, that might be, that might be slightly exaggerating, but he wasn't good at it at first. And the commitment, when we say when, when, um, until one is, when, when you become truly committed, providence moves. And so it's really, and that's what happened with the recovery stuff. I became fully committed and then the universe providence cooperated with me. And, and that's why human beings, are, that's why like this, this, the situation with the homeless kid I was referring to earlier, like it's almost frustrating because I know he has it in him. Yeah. He just has to access it. And we so all is, have we all have it within us. Exactly. So and that's why we need coaches. Character. That's why we need coaches like you that like I'm a I came to you with a lot of tools and you know, I believed in myself, but you found things inside of me. You pointed out things, you saw things in me that were that were my own shadows were my own, you know, so coaching is so important. Um, and you didn't really talk about you yourself as being a coach at the beginning when I first asked who you are now. So I know you're a coach. We also didn't talk about that you're a musician either. So you're a musician as well. Um, I'm actually not a musician. Um, yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a musician. I, but you are passionate about music. I love listening to music. I can play music, but musicians are, they're like a whole different, I don't have the discipline for it. There musicians are in, in psychotically disciplined. Um, and I just don't, I've never had that level of passion, of discipline for it, you know? Because you, you have it for other things, which is just like all of us. Totally. Um, if... I mean, I know people are going to really, really connect to this whole conversation, male, female, non-binary, like any, anybody is going to get major stuff from this conversation. If somebody really connects with you and wants to reach out to you, where would they find you, Dave? You could just, you could just find me on your friends list on Facebook. <laughs> you, could just, you just friend me. Um, the I've, coolest I've, thing about Dave is his social media is all Dave. It's, it, you don't, you're not really social media business, Dave. You're just Dave. No, I don't like, I, 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 I just, it's not, I don't resonate with that. Um, social media marketing. Yeah. That social media marketing thing. I, 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 I decided like early on in my coaching that I do a little bit for sure, but like, um, I decided that I wanted to, to have, I, I decided that I wanted people to find me, yeah. you know, like, so, uh, and that me, that required me to become very disciplined in coaching, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, yeah, you could just friend me on Facebook and, uh, I'll put, I, I will put your name in the show now. And anyone can reach out to me because I am a social media marketer and everyone knows how to find me. Totally. Um, you are so amazing. It's been so soul filling. I'm going to cry, Aww. which is not, not unheard of when I'm with Dave. Um, I cry often. He knows that. Um, it's been amazing for me to have this conversation and to hear I knew parts of your story but to hear you tell it and to hear hear you tell it has been such a treat for me and I know it's going to be a treat for everyone who listens so thank you thank you thank you so much just by being of service to us and sharing your um your beautiful self-love journey 
and for helping me become the person who I am today by um, pushing me to the edge of my comfort zone. Like, you know, my listener, I've got really loyal listeners and I give Dave a lot of credit for the gen that shows up today um, versus the gen that was a year ago. So thank you so much. And um, any last words that is burning desires that, that you want to share? Um, no, just really that like anything is, anything is possible. Like you, and, and the thing about um, like real gnarly recovery is readily available and it's free and it doesn't cost a cent and it's everywhere. And there's recovery in a church basement right down the street from where you live or um, in a community center, um, undecorated community center <laughs> room. You know what I mean? With an uncomfortable chair, folding chair, right? And crappy coffee right down the street from you. Um, and and if you have a, a, a loved one who's struggling with addiction, but you are not, then there's that for you. There's programs for you. And I, I, I very intentionally do not name what they are, but you can read between the lines there. Um, they're non-glamorous. What's that? Talk to me because I, I love, I love recovery. And yeah. I and I think every, I don't really know a single human being that doesn't need it, but it's very explicit. All of the recovery programs will say very explicitly um, this is not for people who need it. It's for people who want it. And if exactly. you want it, you got to be willing to plug in and you got to be willing to take a really hard look at yourself and then take action. But you'll find that the universe, I mean, I shared that what I, what I did with you, what happened to me in eight months, um, yeah. the universe starts to, starts to cooperate with you very quickly. So um, whatever yeah. you're fighting, stop the fight and then find some people that want to help you with that path of surrender they are available, but you have to become willing. And if you become willing, the 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 masters or whatever you want to refer to them as will appear. There's no question. It's a universal law. Totally. Totally. You're open to it. It will appear. And then one last thing before we before we definitely say goodbye. We're not just talking about heroin. We're talking from from heroin to sugar and everything in between. We're talking phone addiction. We're talking love and sex addiction. Addiction, Like whatever you are powerless over, there is help for that. One, yes, ab like absolutely. It's, um, you name it. There's people out there walking. Uh, you know, there's even like in... <laughs> Not, not to the, the love and sex addiction stuff. Like there's that no fat movement, right? Where these guys are like, like that's, a, that's people who are committed to something greater, connecting with one another mm -hmm. to wean themselves or to rid themselves of porn. You know, because that, the whole porn thing is just porn. <laughs> porn is everywhere. Like, you know, and so many people are becoming so addicted to it without even realizing it, yeah. you know? And because it's that darn dopamine and we exactly. all have dopamine in our bodies. So therefore we all get dopamine hits. So like you said, recovery is for everyone, whether you think not or not. And um, yeah, it, I always say that <laughs> the world would be a happier place if more people were uh, taking those steps. <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, it would be, we wouldn't even have wars. I mean, I'm That's, not even exaggerating. It's, no, it's true. It's entirely true. true. You know, like the Dalai Lama, I think he says, if we children were taught meditation at age five, that we would end war in a single generation. I, I, I see that being more accurate than inaccurate, you know? Yeah. So totally. anyway. All right, Dave, thanks Thank for being my first male interview. It was more than I could ever expect. I appreciate you so, so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope that you got so much out of this beautiful story that Dave shared and the person that he is. If you are struggling 
with addiction or you know somebody and love somebody who is, there is help. Please call 1-800-662-4357 to find help. Um, You are loved, you are worthy, and you are important and need to be here. Thanks for listening.